0: the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world.
1: Welcome to New Brew, the Project Zion series that takes us through the New Testament by explaining, exploring, and experiencing the text. And our guides through the New Testament are Tony and Charmaine Shvala-Smith, I'm your host, Karen Peter. Again, uh, as we begin, I'd like to remind our listeners that you can view all of the New Brew and Hebrew and Shebrew episodes and see Tony and Charmaine's slides on the Latter Day Seeker Ministries YouTube channel. So check that out. They make great uh, Christian ed lessons for (laughs) congregations and groups and families. In today's episode, we are still, it feels like an eternity, and I think it's like the second one, maybe the third one, exploring the letters from Paul, and today we're going to talk about uh, the letter to the Galatians, and my favorite thing about this letter that I remember from seminary classes is that Paul is totally ticked off when he's writing this letter, and he puts that in everybody's... uh, knowledge right off the bat that he is not a happy camper and um so let's listen to what paul has to say when he's
2: not happy not not happy that's the
1: cleanest way i can say that at the moment because that's not what came to mind but that's how i'm going to express it let's let's see paul when he's not at his
2: best so what's going on well and i i would guess that paul would say I think he might disagree with not being at his best I don't think he, oh i don't think he was ashamed of being angry when it was justified and he would have certainly felt that it was justified in this case and we'll we'll try to explain why uh, he might have been a bit of on a rant but um but you're right he is not going to let anyone wonder what his attitude is as he's writing this and it starts out that way
3: I, I would say of all the literature of the new testament, <clears throat> Galatians comes closest to being a Lewis Black rant. <laughs> 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 so everybody's
1: queuing up Netflix,
3: Google Lewis Black. they will be shocked that Tony knows that, but they shouldn't do. <laughs> they but shouldn't uh, be. yeah, this this is really the snarkiest, sassiest, most sarcastic letter in the New Testament.
2: But the reason is because of what paul feels is at stake and you have to keep that constantly in front of you otherwise it just looks like he's being self-indulgent on a on an anger rant but no there's for him the very very heart of what he has come to know and believe as christ's work christ's presence with us is at stake
3: so okay So we have, this is an honest to goodness letter, a piece of correspondence. Um, And there's tons of letters. We have thousands of of examples of letters from the ancient world. So it's interesting to compare what goes into a Pauline letter compared to, you know, just general letters, just common letters in the ancient world. But um, two things to know about a letter as a, a vehicle for Paul teaching. And we mentioned this with Corinthians. This is ad hoc pastoring. Right, There are no pastoral care textbooks. There's not even a New Testament. There's no theological text to work from. Everything is ad hoc. Right, Paul's having to work it out on the fly based on his experience, his Jewish background, his understanding of Christian traditions he's inherited and received. So there's ad hoc pastoring and there's ad hoc theologizing. So he's, he's got to deal with a situation that's right in his face.
1: I want to, I just want to put the caveat. Do not try this at home. Paul is a professional. <laughs> do <not>.
3: Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yes. Yes. Especially don't try it from the pulpit. We don't need ad hoc, ad hoc sermonizing. So, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, I think one of the things to realize here, and that this is really important with Paul's letters is that they are the earliest Christian writings we have. And he is, there isn't. A theology, a all the way thought through theology. Mm-hmm. There, Christianity is still basically under Judaism, and so um, it's a subsect on you know it's, it's underneath that. But um, there's there's not a lot in place yet mm-hmm. as far as a consistent idea about um, even things like what did Jesus message in his death and his resurrection mean? What does that mean? So Paul has, from his own experience, a a depth of understanding um, his his Jewish background and his experience of seeing the risen Christ. Um, But he's having to put this into words and not just for people who are Jewish as well, but for Gentiles who may have just a, a passing knowledge of the Jewish God. And so This is quite a challenge to try and uh, draw on all of those things to explain this, to make it make sense and to help people make sense of their experience of the spirit or their experience of community or their experience of Mm -hmm. trying to live in a different way than their neighbors in a Roman culture where this might not be looked upon kindly. Mm -hmm. So um, there's a lot of pieces. So we, we get to see uh, as some people would say, the sausage being made and, <laughs> <Yes>. you know, <laughs> and uh, the, the, the parts that, you know, uh, we're not used to seeing as far as Christian theology, but also Christian life, you know, this is, these are new ideas. These, how do we explain mm-hmm. them? How do we help people take them in and live them?
3: So we we'll, we'll... Working through our usual order stuff. Who wrote this? Well, Paul wrote this. This is his characteristic style. He very likely had a scribe, uh, because at the end of the letter, he says, now, this part of the letter, see, I'm writing this in, in my own hand, right? So it means the scribe <laughs> was trying to keep up with him as he's ranting on, which would have been very interesting. <laughs> but, uh, but
2: also... Isn't that where he says, do you not see what big, big letters? Oh, that's right.
3: <laughs> yeah. And, and let, let nobody trouble me from now on. I bear the marks of Jesus in my body. In other words, he, he's been whipped and beaten and so on for his, his teaching. And so he said, I, I don't want to have to deal with this stuff anymore. So stop it. <laughs> but,
2: but in effect, his writing it in big letters at the end would be a little bit like us using all caps texting. <laughs>
3: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> uh, but interestingly this letter he doesn't name co-workers at the start so I it's hard to know what to make of that typically he will name you know Paul and Sosthenes or and so on but here he doesn't and that what could that mean it could mean maybe his co-workers were out doing stuff and he just had to get this out or whatever we don't know well the next thing is where is it sent? um so this is a complicated question because it's sent to the churches in Galatia. But this is complicated because there's there's the Roman province of Galatia, which is in the southern kind of southern part of, of Turkey. And that's the one mentioned in the book of Acts, where Paul goes to Iconium and Lusit and Derbe, those cities. That's, that's Roman Galatia. But then in chapter three, he refers to the Galatians as Galatians. And Galatai in Greek means Celts. They're Celtic peoples. And in the Roman Empire that ethnic group live further north, and there's no record anywhere else in the New Testament of missionizing there, but you wouldn't typically call residents of the Roman province Celts because there weren't many of them down there, so the question scholars struggle with is this, did he send this to the churches mentioned in Acts, or is this a whole missionizing venture we don't know anything else about further north, but we'll just keep calling them Galatians, um, and they're they're somewhere from what would be central Turkey today, so and it's to several congregations not to one meaning this letter was carried by someone paul trusted and <laughs> was read in each of these communities as they met uh i'm glad that i didn't draw the short straw for reading this letter to cuz this was not likely to be received well so
2: <laughs> though it must have been received well enough that it was not destroyed in all settings yeah. and it was copied <laughs> yes. and passed on to and them. kept yeah I can imagine, like, our congregations
1: today getting a sermon mailed to them from, from some supervising ecclesiastical authority. We won't name names, but to get that kind of a rant coming out, that would spark some resistance.
3: Well, ch- chapter three, you stupid Galatians. I mean, uh, <laughs> I highly recommend not writing a congregation with, with that. But so so um, when? Well, this this letter is... Earlier, probably in Paul's writing career, after First Thessalonians, maybe before around the time of First Corinthians, but definitely way before Romans. So, so everybody's best guess is like around fifty-four to fifty-five. Uh, again, that's pretty early for Christian literature, but that's that's a, a pretty good ballpark ballpark uh, guess. And then, why? What's the occasion of the letter? Well, that's we're going to spend a lot of time on that. But the the short the short answer for starters is that this group of churches that Paul founded are defecting from him because teachers have come in teaching another, what Paul calls another gospel, which is no gospel. That's a part of his snarkiness. They're teaching another message and they're, they're basically, you know, they've come in to correct, uh, Paul's sort of deficient message. As they would see it. Yes, they would see it. And, Mm -hmm. and so, um, So Paul is dealing with the prospect of losing all of these communities to another version of Christianity that he sees as highly, highly problematic and a version that has uh, moved away from what is the central message that he and other Christian leaders agreed on that would be preached to Gentile communities. But it
2: is moving back towards um, traditional Judaism and So, you, I mean, this is another one of those places where you can see that Christianity is still in the, you know, in the cradle of Judaism Mm -hmm. and that its it's differentness is going to emerge slowly and the necessity for it to be its own religion. Mm -hmm. But this is one of those places early on where Paul is saying, no, we can't. We can't pick those other pieces up again because they nullify what the original message that he brought to them was, mm-hmm. which was.
3: Yeah.
2: Which was that it's you are not made right with God by the doing of stuff, of the keeping of certain rules, that that Jesus' presence, I'm jumping ahead a little mm-hmm. bit, but that that Jesus' presence. With us as God's love made real um, tells us something completely different about who God is. And that is that we are already known and loved and accepted by God. And that we can live in that knowledge. We don't have to keep proving ourselves. It's that's not how we get right with God. Is mm-hmm. showing how wonderful we are, how perfect we are, but that God is made has made it possible for us all to know our worth in in Christ. So, so that's the, the message that Paul set, sees it as essential that this um, that believing in Christ and thus believing in taking in this awareness that you are completely known and loved by God. That's the turning point. That's this new thing.
3: So let's, we're going to flesh that out a little bit. And what we'll, what we'll do for, for fleshing that out is we want we want to step back into a big context and then a small context, because that's going to be really important for, for this letter. So here's, here, here's the big picture. And this, this is probably not is widely known as it should be in Christian circles, but prior to the year seventy of the common era, when the city of Jerusalem fell to the army army of Titus and you know and the the second destruction of Jerusalem, basically prior to that, Judaism was incredibly diverse. It was an incredibly ultra diverse religion. Right, you've got the Pharisees and you've got the Sadducees and you've got the scribes and you've got the Herodians about whom we know very little. You've got Essenes out in the desert. Um, you've got Hellenized Jews out in the diaspora, out in the Roman world. And then you've got uh, Jews, for example, in Alexandria who are mixing Platonic philosophy with Judaism. Um,
1: that's the West Coast, that's us. That's yeah, where we yeah. be. I'm good with that. Yeah,
3: <laughs> Alexandria, California. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got different Jewish liberation movements kind of forming, and then you've got um, all these Gentile synagogue groupies who don't fully convert, but who hang around the synagogues and who try to adopt as much of Judaism as they can without fully converting, and they form this buffer between the synagogue and the rest of the Gentile population.
2: And, and by the way, in Acts, um, they see that being where Paul makes his inroads most, Yeah, is with these these uh, Gentile hanger-ons, the the, the groupies, uh, who can fully accept Christ without having to accept all the Jewish law, so yeah. they're they're
3: uh,
1: that circumcision had people not wanting to go the Jewish route. That, I mean, that's just that bottom
3: is. line. Oh wait, except the Galatians. We'll get there in a minute, but. <laughs> But you know, th- think of these—the fearers is what they're sometimes called. They're, they're, they're kind of like they're kind of like deadheads, right? Following the Grateful <laughs> Dead around as close as they can get. But so, but then there's also the the common Judaism of the localized Judaism out in the countryside. Uh, there's that, and then there's this weird messianic movement connected to this guy named Jesus uh, that starts within Judaism. And it's, we'll call them Christians just to differentiate them, but they're not calling themselves that yet. Um, and so, in other words, we've got all these different ways of being Jewish in the mid first century. And, and what, uh, what unites these groups is a, is a common disagreement. <laughs> the common disagreement is, what does it mean to be a real Jew? Right. There's this Torah thing. How much of this Torah do we follow? How much do you not? Well, how do you interpret it? What do you do? What is it? You know, in other words, what is the role of sacrifices? Right, right, right. So what is the way to be a true Jew? That's, that's going on within Judaism in the first century. And so, so the Christian movement is kind of that, that Jesus starts is within that, within that milieu. But then here's the complicating thing. This messianic movement starts attracting all kinds of gentiles and so the question comes up well these gentiles who are coming into this messianic movement our messianic movement um how much Judaism do they have to follow to be really in um and paul's answer is none right none. You, can,
2: you can hear <coughs> the traditionalists yes. just gasping
3: so that's that's a dispute in early christianity between uh adherents of its jewish roots who want to say there's got to be some or some of them who say well there's got to be a lot Mm. and then some some early christian thinkers and preachers like paul who are like uh no i think the cross put an end to that in other words you this is not the way. This is not the way to enter into a right relationship with God anymore. So that's kind of the background there, and so that's the big picture. And then the specific context of Galatians is is that um, these these teachers have snuck in. <laughs> you know, Paul Paul forms these churches, and in Galatians he he's, he describes their they have experiences of the Spirit. They're totally generous, Paul. Paul came there almost accidentally, wherever this place is, he came there accidentally but through some illness, and they were so generous to him, and they, were, they welcomed him. They, they received this message and experienced the Holy Spirit, and at some point afterwards, these teachers sneak in, and what they tell these probably Gentile converts is that, oh, you don't know, do you?
2: <laughs> oh, poor you. Oh, you'll, you'll understand better once we've enlightened you and brought you up to speed
3: here in order to be a real christian you have to first be a real jew Jew. and in order to be a real jew you have to follow these different rules and by the way guys you have to get circumcised and so what paul finds out is that the galatians are like all right cool (laughs) (laughs) um
1: not the brightest group there i mean
3: and so um, they, they have somehow come to believe that in order to be true Christians, they've got to do more stuff. And also the teachers probably told them, and by the way, Paul isn't a real apostle. He came along later. He didn't know Jesus. He was a persecutor, blah, blah, blah. And so that's part of what infuriates Paul. So he starts off a letter, Paul, an apostle, not, not by human beings or by human design, but by God, the father and, and Jesus Christ, whom he raised from the dead, Paul, Paul says, I'm called, right? And by the way, all those, all of the other Jewish Christian leaders, and I am a Jewish Christian, by the way, and I really was advancing in Judaism. But all the other Jewish Christian leaders, they said, "Yep, he's in. He's one of us." So, don't be
2: using that, (laughs) right? The teachers, the teachers
3: misled you. They bewitched you. He says. So this is why he's infuriated, right? His, he's been accused of teaching a defective gospel. He's not really an apostle. And the worst thing is that the Galatians, the Galatian Gentiles who have been experiencing Christ through the message Paul preached are now told that they haven't really been, they need more stuff. And they say, oh, all right, I guess we better do that then. And so they are, they are, they are backing into a place where Paul, as a Jew, knows that they really, they're not gonna function, be able to function in that place. So so um, once he finds out what happens, he uh, <laughs> Hollers this letter at his <laughs> scribe, and I actually say that because this letter, in a few places, when you're reading the Greek text and the English translation, will do this. When you're reading the Greek text, he doesn't complete sentences. You know, like when you're so angry you can't even complete a sentence and you run on to the next thought. What they are makes no difference to me, Paul says. You know, it's like you know he describes <laughs> getting it all down, <laughs> and, then, and he he, just, he, just, he describes Peter James and John as those who seemed to be something. (laughs) I'm hoping we get to
1: some of that conflict by the time we're done with new brew, because that has always fascinated me.
3: So (laughs) it's it's, understanding this letter requires uh, you to to know that this this is a full bore legal defense. In other words, Paul uses the type of rhetoric that a defendant in a law court in ancient world would have used to defend themselves. He says, Let me tell you my story. So he rehearses his story. And then he says, And let me re- refer you to your own experience, uh, dear Galatians, that you're now denying your experience. And then let me show you how the arguments of the teachers don't hold up even in a Jewish setting. All right. So he, it's, this is a classic, it's called apologetic uh, rhetoric. It's the rhetoric of the law court. And so he's, <laughs> so he's, uh, He's defending himself, his mission. He's trying to defend them. And he's especially defending what he thinks is the gospel, the message, of, the message about Jesus. So um, the, the New Testament scholar Luke Johnson says this of the Galatians that I think is a beautiful statement. Now, the Galatians now who are now into circumcision and following food laws and so on that as Gentiles, they don't need to. But Luke Johnson says, it's like people who were breathing normally asking to be put on a respirator. I think it's a brilliant analogy. And Paul recognizes that they are denying the freedom that already had come to them through belief in Christ. Mm-hmm. And for Paul, faith means freedom. Faith is, faith is a new kind of freedom before God and to be a new kind of, of community. So, um, and then th- this letter really is kind of a manifesto about inclusion, um, about tr- uh, relating to God uh, by trust and not by dessert, by earning stuff. Um, so it's really, I mean, it's, it's a very, very powerful revolutionary text um, and it helped start a revolution, i.e. the Protestant reformation. This is one of Luther's favorite texts, this in Romans. And uh, um, so it's quite worth a read. And also here's a secret church life actually does not like this letter. There's too much freedom in it. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sherry, I just kind of went on there. For anything you want to add, as far as just the explaining the
2: well, I think we, you know, we've talked about First Corinthians, and and in First Corinthians, Paul having to say, you know, you need to to tighten up your rules a little bit. You need, you've got some some uh, walls on your on your highway here that you need to stay between you know, um, and you need a little, you need a few rules. Well, the opposite is true here. What Paul is saying, you need it to lighten up. So Corinthians, tighten up. Galatians, lighten up. Um, quit thinking it has, you have to force this in a particular direction.
3: It's like, I don't know if I ever if I shared this with Corinthians. It's like, Charmaine and I used to be counselors at senior high camps a lot. And one of the ways you sometimes start out is you know, it's right. So if you want me to make rules, I will make rules. It's...
2: <laughs> so uh,
3: there's not rules until there's a problem. And then so, there's right. rules. And, 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 Corinthians... <laughs> and
2: Corinthians, yeah, they needed a few of those.
3: I I, I hate to have to tell you this Paul saying, but no, because you're a Christian, you can't sleep with temple prostitutes. <laughs> yes. it's, I am making a rule there.
2: <laughs> but with the Galatians, he's saying, why, why are you taking on rules that, that, Neutralize what you've already been given. So yeah, it's a whole different approach.
3: So Karen, we'll switch now to explore and and see questions, observations you have. We'll start there, and, and we have a few things to chime into.
1: So one of the one of the first things I was hoping that we could um, hear a little bit more about goes back to what you said about that um, that discipleship that being a Christian is. You don't get it by earning it, by doing things. Um, First off, in our contemporary culture, that has been shifted to you become a good Christian by not doing certain things, which I find (laughs) fascinating. I'm talking about rules. But um, and so that's that whole faith versus works situation, that whole idea that, that of faith and works and. When we talk about faith in in our contemporary setting, it's passive. It's equated with belief. What is Paul
2: talking about? Well, Paul is definitely talking about something more than an idea that you just keep in your head. You know, this idea, oh, I believe in Jesus. I'm good. This is about, for him, belief means Letting this both the knowledge and the experience of, of God's love that came that was possible because of Jesus' message and and all that he did, death, resurrection. It's it's letting that change us, letting that change who we are as a community. So now we're we're not seeing each other as higher and lower, but somehow this new life that we have in Christ makes us equal to each other. And so we're trying to live that we're trying to live in this new way. And, and that, that means we have to become self-aware of some of the things in us that would keep us from doing that. So, you know, this is kind of, this is kind of spiritual practices, you know, it's, it's, how do I, to, how do I change my orientation to myself, to others, to the world. And so that's what belief here means. It's about Mm -hmm. changing the way you live in every day, the way you think about yourself and about other people, Mm -hmm. Um, the way you think about God, not as some power that's going to smite you first opportunity they get, but a power that is wanting you to know your value and worth in the world and how do you live into that so that's what belief in jesus means
3: mm-hmm. it
2: means taking on this whole different attitude this whole different uh, approach to life
3: and uh, when when paul tries to explain what faith is he he's talking about radical trust in his primary image is abraham from the hebrew bible he pursues that a little bit here in galatians and then he'll flesh it out more in romans but uh Paul's completely captivated by the idea that long before there was law and rules, there was God making a promise to Abraham and Sarah, and they trusted it. So Abraham put his trust in God, and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. As a in other words, God took Abraham's trust and said, "You and I, you and I, baby, we're in a right relationship because that's what I need. I need I need you to trust me that I can come through on this." And so. That's and then in Romans when Paul fleshes that a little bit further he talks about uh, God, God promised Abraham and Sarah offspring uh, and they're old and as, as though they were dead they they <laughs> hoped beyond hope so this is for Paul faith is a whole bodied flinging yourself on the, the the message of the goodness of God uh, trusting your all tr- trusting your whole self to it. He doesn't see it as it's not a virtue. It's not something you you work up to that would defeat it. It's simply awakened as you hear this message and you just give yourself to it. Um, the closest analogy I can think of in human experience is the, the experience of literally falling for someone, falling in love with someone, falling for them. This is our mm-hmm. English language, how we talk about it. Mm-hmm. There's this sense of absolute un. Un, unself-aware un, uh, complete abandonment of the self in trust towards what one one is encountered by that's that's for Paul the gospel he preaches about Christ crucified and risen that awake it awakens that in Gentiles that's the right relationship with God um, so that puts a
1: different um, spin then when we talk about faith versus works because then works become actually a manifestation of distrust. So, no. if we have to follow certain laws, if we have to avoid certain behaviors in order to be faithful, are we are we saying that we're distrustful of that relationship and yeah. that promise? Yep, we just in that
3: case, then we've just turned the divine human relationship not into a gift but into a commodity. We barter.
1: Yeah, into a transaction. Yeah, absolutely, cool.
3: absolutely. So, Paul Paul's language is highly personal and relational, and. Uh, for him, faith has a content, message about the Messiah who who is crucified and raised from the dead, and now present and now sending the Spirit. There's, it's not like it's not just any old thing. It's connected <laughs> to that. But uh, faith here is uh, you, you're. You're, you're jump, you're jumping down the hill on your skis. That's about it. Right. And <laughs> so, and that's quite, that's quite different because in, in church life, we tend to treat faith as a transaction. You need to do this, this, and this. Be this, this, and this. You Don't have, do this, this, and this. You have
2: to have enough of it to get what you want, whether we're talking mm-hmm. about prayer or oh, yeah. favor in some way, in some, in some denominations. And, anyway.
3: Oh, and in American Christianity, especially Protestant, we connect it with feelings. You have to feel a certain thing too, mm-hmm. right? You have to feel like you were born again. You have to have an experience of a particular kind and so on. Paul doesn't mean any of that. Yeah. Faith is radically entrusting yourself to a God- who has made a promise that, that God's going to come through uh, for us mm-hmm. in Christ? That's it. You throw yourself on that.
1: Mm-hmm. So the trust with abandon.
3: Yep, yep. So uh, then, for Paul, like in this letter, works whatever works they are are would be f- would be faith working through love, right? It's it's, it's uh, after
2: the fact. Faith mm-hmm. comes first. Mm-hmm. Actions follow, in, but what he's upset about is where people are saying the actions have to come first and then maybe you're okay with
3: God. And thus he refers in chapter five to the fruit of the spirit. Oh, it's not the fruit of our moral life. (laughs) It's the Holy spirit. He's talking about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, generosity, meekness, self-control and so on. These things, the Galatians like we want rules. We want the Torah. And Paul says, you don't need that. The spirit is in you.
2: It's already giving you what you need. Love,
3: joy, peace. Follow that. Do that. Right. That would be faith working through love. Um, So but it's. um, Strangely, it's a little too radical for most church life, I'm afraid.
1: (laughs) Well, I think I think if we're honest, all of us can say there are times when we've moved from that because we want different things. Mm-hmm. From our religious experience, so we want control, or we have an agenda, or we want certain things to happen, or or we want uh, status, or we want, want status, we want yeah.
0: yeah, than
2: somebody else, yeah. or more. And so the whole, I-
1: whole idea of a level playing field, equal around the table, live in in these fruits of the spirit—that doesn't sound. As much fun as
2: the, <laughs> the way the game is played in many places.
3: Well, yeah, because because the
2: way the game is played in those settings is borrowed from our cultures,
0: exactly.
2: um, where our worth is is highly um, <laughs> metered and judged by all kinds of criteria in our cultures and our societies, yeah. and uh, yeah, lots of us Christians find it easier to kind of use that as our default rather than this other thing that is what makes us Christian in the first place Mm -hmm. is this radical act of love on God's part seen in Christ
3: is, is Christian faith grounded in a gift or is it grounded in stuff we do? And I think for a lot of, a lot of people, it's the latter when for Paul and by the way, for Jesus, it's grounded in the former. This is, you've been gifted into a whole new way of life. And so, yeah.
2: So some of the folks who find it hardest in our culture are those that we think of as perfectionists, people who have worked very hard in their life to accomplish things and to make a difference uh, for themselves or for others. And so the idea of doing and accomplishing and measuring and, um, doing things that can be seen in the society as good and valuable and important, um, real, a real trap in this case to what Paul is pointing to as God's gift.
3: Right. It, for Paul, Paul's arguing against an idea that's really rife in our culture, which is that your work, your, your worth is dependent on your value and your values dependent on what you can produce. Or what you're, or how you're
2: seeing, right, or right. what you have, or...
3: and, and pa- for Paul, Christ has started a whole new world that's completely different from that. That's why Christ is so central to Paul's theology. Christ is the initiator of this whole new world, and uh, churches have forever, ever after been trying to catch up to that, or modify that, or turn away <laughs> from that because we must manage
1: of- it. Right. <laughs> we we
3: much go. we much prefer the older world with its with its status markers and it's who's in and who's out and uh, and with its uh, uh, love of religious resumes and so on. So yeah. Paul says, no, that's garbage. <laughs> Stop that.
1: <laughs> OK, well, that kind of leads into my my second question in reading through Paul's letters um, and the other New Testament letters. Um, Paul often invokes grace in his salutations or in his blessings at the beginning and at the end of of the letters. When he uses that word, what is he meaning? And it's different from what we hear in our context.
3: So grace, the the word charis in Greek is also connected to the word charisma, gift, grace, gift, charis, charisma, grace, gift. Uh, God's God's relationship with human beings, the divine human relationship and encounter that comes to Christ is solely gifted. It's gifted to us. That's what grace is about. It's initiated by God. Uh, It doesn't come because we were smart or moral or wonderful or in need, whatever. It's it's just totally, God is lavishing a gift upon us. That's what grace is about. Um, And that's why it's really hard, especially in cultures that work on the basis of merit and not, and not, uh, not,
2: not inherent, grace. inherent value of everyone. Yeah.
3: So I don't know, Does that help a little bit?
2: It, it does because we, we've, we use it in so many
1: different ways. We're going to say grace over our dinner or, mm-hmm. um, we talk about grace almost as a, you know, through God's grace, I have, and then we turn around with our list of things we have to do to earn that grace. So we, it's almost like we, we have lip service to the word because it's scriptural, but we're not really um, acting in a way that says that we understand what it is.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's definitely, it's that's both culture and human ego at work there. I think, you know, <laughs> um, we we always think we need to have somehow earned something, right? Uh, and that if it's a gift, somehow I'll, I'll squander it. Well, of course, God knows we'll squander it. Uh, so uh, yeah, God laughs. Human,
1: he made us. There's no yeah. surprise
3: there. But the other thing for Paul that for Paul say to be saved by grace, its its primary immediate value for Paul is that therefore we can't brag about being christians mm-hmm. right we we can't we can't brag oh you
1: just you just you just alienated part of our audience
3: well, yes uh then then our work here is done <laughs> paul's Paul, Paul like if if everything we have is by grace and we didn't deserve it then it's obviously not based on whether we're better or good or what it's right. it's, it's a gift and and therefore we can't brag about being saved. We're so wonderful. God loves us so much. It's 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 meant it's meant to humanize the humble church and humble. Yeah, exactly. Um, if you really if you really get the idea of grace, you can't say I am I am so smart and wonderful because I'm a Christian. <laughs> say, holy cow! I can't believe I've I've been drawn into this. I told this this is totally beyond me. There's nothing about me that deserves this. Really. And just think how differently Christians would act in the world if they really believed that.
1: Yeah.
3: So that's
1: food for thought. Maybe more than I wanted this morning as we record (laughs) this, But, but good nonetheless. Well, we're on the topic of Paul's salutations, what else can we learn in the letters from Paul just by his salutations? They always fascinate me. Sometimes he talks about people.
3: Yeah. Sometimes
1: he greets in different ways. What's going on with salutations in these? Well, I,
3: I, I mentioned ancient letters and uh, this was not one of my specialties because it's, I mean, I'm, my hat's off to the, 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 the scholars of the ancient world who focus on uh, uh, epistolography as the study of ancient letters. Honestly, though, Karen, ancient letters follow a formula that you don't depart from. Person X to person Y, greeting. First of all, I thank the gods for you always, and I thank you always. Start off with a or with a, a
2: Christian thing. one might be. I thank God for you, and I thank God for the, the association we have.
3: Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> in an ancient letter, if you miss part of the if you if you leave out part of the letter form, uh. Oh you're, my gosh,
2: you're sending a message.
3: Yeah, it's, it's a loud and immediate message. And so nobody, you don't break from the form.
1: It's a message of disrespect. If you do not offer the salutation in the appropriate way.
3: Right. And you also have to offer, offer a reference to the gods at the end of the letter too. And, and, uh, oh my gosh. So, so Galatians. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so how
2: is this different?
3: <laughs> Galatians is different from Paul's other letters because Paul leaves out the Thanksgiving. He, go, he goes from Paul, an <laughs> apostle, this long thing about uh, not, not, uh, not by human design or whatever, but by God who raised Jesus from the dead. Uh, and then the first, when, when the, letters, the body of the letter starts, instead of saying, I, I thank God for you always in my prayers because I want, you, you're so amazing. And I just, the spirit is so powerful. No, 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 no. Paul doesn't say that. The first thing Paul says is, I am dumbfounded. That you that you have so quickly given yourself to another gospel. I mean, it's like this is this is the in the ancient world, this is the equivalent of a letter with a hand that reaches out and slaps you in the face.
1: <laughs> I can only imagine um, what it would be like to hear that letter and not hear the Thanksgiving, and instead to hear the the verbal slap. That's
3: yeah. That's why uh, I was. I was rearranging my sock door on the day that they picked the person to deliver this letter. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm busy. I've got stuff going on here. Oh I don't know how you would actually read that letter to a yeah. to assembled in somebody's house of different social classes, uh, who have, you know, some of whom have recently been circumcised, and you know, it's like how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you read this letter? That- I,
2: I can think of some people who would enjoy it. <laughs>
3: There, there surely was religious, one person.
2: Religious mercenaries. <laughs> who are happy to
0: do this.
3: So there's one, one person, there was one person in each of those Galatian communities who's like, I don't like what we're doing here. I think Paul would disagree, but they can't speak up. And then the letter is read and they're saying, oh yeah. <laughs> About time. But yeah, so these conventions, these letter writing conventions carried a lot of uh, social weight. And so to depart from them uh, is... It it's definitely saying something loud and clear. So yeah, and,
1: and hard for us to pick out because we don't have. I mean, our our writing style and our writing manners are so different
2: right. that
1: we wouldn't we wouldn't necessarily pick that up. All the more reason to have a good um, one volume co- Bible commentary on the NRSV annotated Bible commentary uh, at hand so and that an that introduction we, to the Bible. Absolutely, Sloane's uh, work over a here. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's really. Um, Um, amazing what you can what you can glean from this that really enhances your discipleship you don't have to be a bible scholar to want to have good reference works
3: absolutely and if you have a good if you have a good uh, study bible you'll discover that paul isn't always watching his language very carefully in galatians so for example in chapter five (laughs) paul's at this point paul is pulling out his hair and he's 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 like i have no idea what to do with you guys um my, my little children, uh, you know, I, in, until Christ is formed in you, I'm such in such turmoil. And then he says, I wish that those who were troubling you would castrate themselves. In other words, they, the Galatians have now made circumcision, at least the males, the be all end all of what it really means to be a true Christian. And Paul says, I wish those people had come in and taught you that. Um, the Greek verb is a strong verb. Uh uh, which means lop off. So, uh, we have no visuals for that. For, for this, um, don't bother going to the Latter day Seeker Ministries YouTube channel for that. Nope, nope, nope. Literally, that's what Paul says. He says, He says, I he's so frustrated that, right, Paul the Jew who knows all about this, he's a Pharisee for goodness sakes, so that was his background, he knows all about this, and so. Uh, he's just like I can't believe this and you guys are now into circumcision it's like <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah it, it um, helps to really understand his state of mind that he is that distraught over,
2: over that's what awesome. that's a great word yeah, yeah.
1: Um, okay so we've made some uh, little foray into how that uh, might look for us today and what Galatians might have to say but how do we further experience this
3: yeah, uh, well, well uh, one more thing probably we should cover is the idea of justification, justification okay. by faith, which is really, really important uh, in Paul's theology, but also in subsequent Christian theology. And so we'll just take a quick look here and then we'll move on to experiencing the text. But this is uh, just a couple of lines from Galatians 2. We ourselves, Paul, Peter, and so on, are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. That's Jewish language to describe the outside. Yet, yet we know that a person is justified, not by the works of the Torah, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by doing works of the Torah, because no one will be justified by the works of the Torah. If justification comes through the law then Christ died for nothing, he says. uh, I think that's really key to the whole letter. So, you know, uh, justification by faith is a doctrine, um, really important in Lutheran churches, important in Catholic churches, and so on. But it's it's commonly used as a sort of tag. Do you believe that we are justified by faith? And so on. What does it mean? Well, uh, millions of pages of scholarly ink have been uh, poured out on this, but the Greek verb is dikaio, and those, those verbs in Greek that end with two O's, uh-oh, that, that signifies that the verb causes something to happen. So to justify... And there are various meanings here. Um, To cause to be just could mean to acquit, to find not guilty, or to vindicate, um, as Gary Wills puts it, uh, to set things right, is another way to put it, or to restore or establish right relationship. All of those meanings kind of come into the word justification. And it's pretty clear that that for Paul, uh, these meanings fade into each other. But definitely, this is about right relationship. It is, how do we, especially Gentiles, how do do you Gentiles come into a right, healthy, proper relationship with the God of the covenant? Uh, It's actually by faith in Jesus Christ, right? And that's, that's Paul's argument. So it's interesting in Paul's letters, when you look at all his letters, when does he use justification language? And he only uses it when the issue is some people trying to impose Jewish legal practices on Gentile Christians, that's the only time he uses it. So obviously, justification is a, a thing that is part of his Jewish framework. Um, but uh, it's, it, it's it's not something we do, right? Justification we don't justification is not something we do earn achieve. It's not about us making something happen. It's a gift. In short, uh, we receive justification. And a simple way to think of it is that we uh, we are accepted fully by God simply by trusting in Christ. Now for Paul, trusting in Christ would probably include baptism. He wouldn't see that as separate, but but the what's primarily at stake there is the act of trust. So uh, it, when you take Paul's theology in, as a whole, the word justification functions like other words related to what God has accomplished. So Paul uses the word salvation, meaning deliverance or liberation. He uses the word redemption, which comes from the ancient slave culture. It's about release, setting a slave free. He uses the term reconciliation, which comes from ancient politics, about bringing estranged cities together. Uh, Sanctification uh, means being claimed and set apart. And then to be called is God's action in drawing us to Christ. In other words, in all these things, including justification, the actor is God, not us. And so that's, again, what grace is. God, grace is God's initiative and action that precedes our action in creating a whole new relationship uh, for us. So just to sum it up, basically the Christian life, according to Paul, is about being set free to ride the wave of divine love poured out in Christ. It's not religion per se, which is often about doing this, 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 and this, but a radical life-upending trust that a whole new world is being born. I mean, that's what I'm trying to Best I can sum up, justification places us in that brand new world that's being born, ushers us into it, and uh, for Paul the Galatians' big problem is that they they are ushering themselves out of it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. maintaining the divisions that the, the uh, false teachers who came behind him.
3: Right, exactly. and, and just one other thing here is that Charmaine I had an interesting conversation about. All this language, this Pauline language is so, so common in Christian circles that it becomes kind of like cliches. But trying to recapture the radicalness of it in Paul is really important because it gives us whole new ways to think about Christian faith. I mean, liberation, release, set free, um, you know, set free to ride a wave of divine love. I mean, it's like those are whole different ways to think about what what Christianity is really about.
2: Yeah. And so we're going to go on into the experience part and our goal in the experience part is to look at the experience of real people who are writing in this case, a letter or the people that they're writing to the recipients. And we're going to do that today. We're looking a little bit more at what would this have meant? What would the situation with the Galatians have meant to some of those who received this letter? So, um, we'll see if there's anything in their reality that can speak to ours today. So we know lots of people have been injured by scripture and are hesitant to trust it, or even to make themselves vulnerable to what it may say. And, but perhaps it's really more accurate to say that many people have been injured by people using scripture in harmful ways. And so one of the things we always want to do is say, how are we approaching scripture so that you can have a kind of a look, see at that. So we approach scripture as their human authored writings that are heavily flavored by their worldview, their culture, their language and their personal situations, as we've seen here with Paul and Galatians. And over time, these writings have helped Christians connect to the reality of God and to help them to grow in their faith and their understanding of God. So in this way, scripture can be a place where we meet or maybe even are introduced to Jesus, the spirit, God. But we don't see scripture as God dictated words, but as the author's attempts to write down their experience and understanding of how God was at work in the world in their time so that future generations would know That means that the cultural norms of their times with all of its blind spots and its biases may be present in these writings um, as they would be in ours. If we were writing something that was read centuries later. So one of the things we try to do is to not determine if a scripture is valuable by whether it would say exactly what we would say today because how could it really? It was written thousands of years ago in a completely different culture and language and place. Um, but, I, this is always the but when it comes <laughs> to scripture, but the purpose of scripture is really to give us a window into someone else's relationship with God, and then to see what might be useful to us in our own relationship with God. So that's what we're going to be doing as we go into the explore part. And today we'll examine a piece of Galatians, and see if it reveals things that have relevance to us and that can speak to our time and situations. Today's passage shows how radical and world upending, that's kind of funny. I didn't know that Tony was going to use the phrase life upending, uh, but we both ended up with that, of uh, the early Christian message. What if someone told you the rules we use in our religious life to live a righteous life, they don't count anymore. The ways we have in our society determine who's most important. They've been done away with. What would it be like to hear that said? And in some ways, that's that is what Paul is saying. So going to go ahead and. So our passage is Galatians 3, 23 to 29. And it's just a short one. but There's a lot in it. And it really captures a good sense of what Paul is trying to say in this whole letter. So, um, and it'll make sense now that we've talked a little bit about whole thing about circumcision and the law. And, um, but then where does he go with this? So, Now, before faith came, meaning faith in Christ or before Christ came, we were imprisoned and guarded uh, guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now the faith has come. We are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. And here the word disciplinarian is like the person who uh, in this this time would be a slave who accompany children to school to make sure they got there safely. We might think of a a crossing guard. So the law is seen as that kind of a, a character who helps to keep us safe and on the right track. So we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian for in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many as you were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So you can hear in this passage, the heart of Paul's message and Paul's heart, I think as well, as to why Jesus matters so much and why he is so angry that they've just tossed it aside in order to be ruled by the law. What did that the message that we are all one in Christ mean to those who heard it? What was at stake by taking on the law instead? What Paul taught about Christ, it equalized people. Women were as important as men. I mean, that's astounding to think about in that time. It's astounding to think about in this time, as we see women's lives being regulated in in ways that are are becoming more and more oppressive. Um, Jews were not closer to God than the Gentiles or the Greeks were. Slaves were as important to God as their masters. What an an amazing thing to say. This this is revolutionary stuff, especially in a highly stratified culture. And and Rome was definitely a highly stratified culture. So obviously in this group in Galatia, or these groups in Galatia, Paul is, that that Paul's addressing, there are women, there are slaves. There are Gentiles, probably a whole bunch of Gentiles, there's probably a few Jews as well, Uh, some freemen, maybe there's even some Roman citizens. So if you were going to try to live this radical equality that Christ brings, what does going back to the law mean? So just to take a, a little perspective of the women and the slaves. So the the Jewish law was formed in a patriarchal society. Only men bore the signs of the covenant with God, the circumcision. Men were the readers of scripture, the writers. (laughs) Men were the clergy. Men were the decision makers. The law in many ways reinforced cultural male dominance placing the woman, keeping the woman in a subservient and secondary position without an independent identity or an independent connection to God. Slaves in the culture, in the Roman culture, uh, were often not even seen as having their own persona, their own identity. That was, they were to take on the, the persona of the master or the household. So Paul's message of freedom in Christ would have completely changed how a slave saw him or herself. But if the law is the way, then the cultural norms are still in place. A male slave would not even have control over his own body as to whether he was going to be circumcised or not. It's, it's, so you get to see the, the complications here. For people who at one point were told you are equal in Christ to everyone else, and then going to the law brings with it this going back under the cultural norms. So this turning back would, it would end up marginalizing a segment, probably a sizable segment of the population of these churches, women, slaves, both men and male slaves, and children. And it would be reinforcing the inequities and the inherent social privileges of part of the group. So it's completely undermining the social change that they've been trying to have. Basically, then taking on the law in order to be seen to be seen by some people as a better Christian would undo all the things Paul sees Christ as making possible. So the radical equality that Paul says exists in our midst because we are one in Christ is undone. It's just been cast aside. And ultimately, you are once again bound by culture. So a couple of questions to consider. When have you found yourself constricted, judged, or pigeonholed by community, society, or culture. And just for you to take a a minute or two to think about those times, when you know what that feels like, when you've experienced that. Um, And then to go to where the text uh, wants to remind us to go. What would it mean to you? To have all the ways that one person is valued over another, replaced with a promise of an equality where you are just as valuable, just as valuable as the richest or smartest or most famous person in the world. What would that be like after having experienced the other? And that's the message, the amazing truth is what Paul says, life in Christ or life with Christ makes real. So don't toss it. (laughs) (laughs) He's saying, don't, you don't understand how valuable what you have is. Don't throw it away. So this passage from Galatians 3 suggests another avenue to pursue that I wanted to to look at. Um, And it's one that all people in all times face. And we can see it as a temptation that runs through human experience through all time. So we're not alone in this. But you'll, you'll notice, we mentioned it briefly, the Galatians are quickly convinced that Paul's message was faulty, and that they now, they're on the inside, they have the inside scoop. By doing this additional thing, circumcision, or the set of things taking on Jewish law and customs, They think they will be closer to God, smarter than Paul and seen by those, those Judaizers coming from Jerusalem as truly belonging. I mean, who wouldn't want all that really? (laughs) They were driven by what lots of us are driven by the idea that I can make myself more than I was and more important than others. So the idea is that we can, closer to God because we are better or we're more pious or more religious or more male or more zealous for the rules, more creative, more informed, more insightful, more wise. You get the idea. There's all of these things. We just, we can get closer to God if we're just more of those things. But the reality is that this kind of quest is really fueled by our ego Everything can then become an opportunity to prove that we are better, higher, smarter than others. We are the makers of our worth or our value in this picture. So the heart of Paul's message undoes all of that. It says that God has made a way for all people to have equal standing with God. And it's not by doing impressive stuff or by showing off our religiousness. No, we are right with God by believing that God loves us. And that's what faith in Christ means. God wanted us to know that all of God's creation is loved. and <clears throat> Jesus' life and ministry, were all about showing everyone that we are all God's children. So believing in Christ means believing that God's love is for all. And it rules out vying for approval from God or making someone else look bad or competing for brownie points from God or convincing others that we are more obedient or more prayerful or more whatever. The list is endless. God's love shown in Christ is a great equalizer. And no wonder the Judaizers, those people who came in and tried to undo what Paul had been doing. No wonder they couldn't let it stand. They were all about showing that they were better than Paul's converts. They wanted converts made in their image. It would show that their way of thinking was superior. And so we get, begin to understand why Paul is really angry. Um, I mean, who wouldn't be when this precious gift of being totally accepted by God is ripped away and replaced with a merit-based provisional acceptance that you always have to be proving yourself. When who Christ was, I'm going to say who Christ was is God's love present with us. And what he did demonstrated which was God's care for all creation, all people. When that is dismissed, we are stuck once again with all the rules and regulations that imprison people because they make us believe that you have to please God by being perfect, or at least you have to be better than other people. Oh, I'm better than that. So where does that take us in our own inner thoughts. What if how cool you look, how religious or spiritual you are, how famous you are, how much people respect you, how much power or authority you have, what if none of that counts? And what if you knew deep, deep, deep down inside at your very core that Jesus says you are of equal value and are equally lovable as anyone else. What happens when we let that take root deep inside of us? Where do you think freedom would blossom in your life? Knowing that. And then just a last thought. What in you resists believing this? And if you have a few moments, I'd invite you to take some time to journal your fi- findings. Um, what is it you resist? What, why is it hard to believe this? And then if you want, go back to the passage and see if there's new insights that appear. So some Places to explore and experience. Thank you, Charmaine.
1: <clears throat> so we've gone from uh, Paul being totally ticked off, you stupid Galatians, to this gift of uh, life upending and world upending love that we need to um Trust God's love in Christ with abandon. So thank you for that journey today for that and some levity when we talk about Paul. I won't say I'm getting to like him better, but maybe a little as we go (laughs) along. (laughs) Are there any last thoughts on Galatians before we bring our episode to a close?
3: Um, This letter you need to just sit with and read and reread and reread. I think um, I would say one thing um, the good news about Jesus is meant to enrich and extend our humanity, not imprison and constrict it. So if, if your understanding of the good news is constricting or imprisoning your humanity, it might not be the right good news. Mm -hmm. All Right. Well, on that, we'll, um, We'll bring
1: our episode on Galatians to a close. I did find a quote for Galatians. Um, It actually comes from Nadia Bowles Weber from her book, Pastrix, which is one of my favorites. Since we've kind of explored how Paul is trying to help people understand that there's no longer religious or social or cultural or personal divides when we talk about life um, in Christ, Nadia Bolz-Weber, who's a Lutheran pastor and famous writer and speaker, was complaining about some people that she was othering in her own life to someone wise who said to her, Nadia, the thing that sucks is that every time we draw a line between us and others, Jesus is always on the other side of it. Damn, she says, unquote. (laughs)
2: Perfect.
1: (laughs) One of my favorite uh, quotes by her. So with that, we hope you will join us for our next episode. We're going to look at, I think it's Philippians and First and Second Timothy next time around.
0: We'll just
3: do one, probably just Philippians.
1: Philippians. Or oh, okay.
3: We'll just do Philippians, Philippians, and then we'll do First and Second Timothy the time after, because Karen, we want to extend your stay in the.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I probably need it, so that's good. So. Until then, our next New Brew episode on Philippians. I'm Karen Peter. This is Cup of Joe, our New Brew episodes. Um, And I've been here with Tony and Charmaine Shibala-Smith, our scripture guides. Thanks so much for being with us.
0: Thanks for listening to Project Zion podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use, and while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines.